This sermon was delivered at Grand Avenue Baptist Church, a gospel-centered church in Ames, Iowa. Hear more sermons and learn more about Grand Avenue at gabcames.org. Our scripture reading today is going to be found on page 10 of your service guide, and it's from Isaiah chapter 61. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. The Spirit of the Lord God is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair. And they will be called righteous trees, planted by the Lord to glorify Him. They will build the ancient ruins. They will restore the former devastations. They will renew the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers will stand and feed your flocks, and foreigners will be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you will be called the Lord's priests, and they will speak of you as ministers of our God, You will eat the wealth of the nations, and you will boast in their riches. In the place of your shame, you will have a double portion. In place of disgrace, they will rejoice over their share. So they will possess double in their land, and eternal joy will be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and injustice. I will faithfully reward my people and make a permanent covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their posterity among the peoples. All who see them will recognize that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I rejoice greatly in the Lord. I exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and wrapped me in a robe of righteousness as a groom wears a turban and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth produces its growth, and as a garden enables what is sown to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Maybe it's going to say you may be seated, but you already beaten to it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we are so thankful that we're almost home. And uh, Lord, as we sing that song, we're reminded that we go together as a church body and uh, as a church universal. Lord, we ask for your grace as we travel the road that you have set before us, knowing that the author of our salvation Lord Jesus Christ, He has traveled that road before us and smoothed that path out. Not without grief and mourning and difficulties, but Lord, He walks every step with us. We thank You for that. Fathers, we look at Isaiah 61 and 62 this morning, we ask for grace. May the unfolding of Your Word give light to Your people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
Last Sunday, we learned that we are the holy city of God. And uh, yes, we're the holy city of God, and we are traveling to the holy city of God. So that's we're both of those things. I'm not confusing my metaphors. Uh, I'm just saying what the Bible says. It's true. And uh, we, we are the holy city of God, and we're built on the foundation of the shed blood of Christ, and yet we're traveling to the perfect holy city of God, and that's our destination, as we've been singing about this morning. It's, it's pretty amazing to think about that, isn't it? It is. And it's comforting. It's comforting. It is a, a great reminder. The late Christian uh, philosopher and apologist, uh, who's also a politician at one point, Chuck Colson, wrote a book called How Now Shall We Live back in the 90s. And in it, he pondered the question of uh, who God says we are and how we should live in the culture in which we are placed. And when we understand what, that's, I mean, because that's a great question, because when we understand who God says that we are as the bride of Christ, holy and perfect, the question is, how shall we live in the light of this truth as we travel this road together to our home uh, in Zion? So how shall we live in light of this truth? In the light of Isaiah 60, this is the question we need to answer because Isaiah 60, as we saw last week, told us who we are and where we are going. What kind of people ought we be as a local church as we travel to the holy city of God? And Isaiah 61 and 62 answers that question for us. And these two chapters, the suffering servant and Isaiah, exhort us how we should live as we travel together to the house of Zion. Isaiah tells us five things we ought to practice as we travel to our heavenly home. So, number one, a life of proclamation. A life of proclamation. That's in verses 1 through 9 of Isaiah 61. A life of proclamation. I want you to listen to verses 1 through 3 one more time. And as I read it, I want you to listen for and even look for, if you've got the, your service guide out there, you can underline these or circle them or however you want to do that. There are seven infinitive, infinitives in this text. And these three verses, and these are, by the way, it's just one long sentence in the original Hebrew. Uh, these three verses tell us what the Lord Jesus came to do. And in a lot of ways, they are his mission statement for his earthly ministry. So let me read them again. Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair. And they will be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify Him. So you just thought I got all the imagery that I was saying mixed up, right? Man, don't you love the Hebrew poetry and, and how it talks about God's people? 
Jesus came to and still comes to people who are hurting and broken and helpless. So this is not a ministry that just happened while he is alive. He is still doing these things. And he comes to people who are in bondage of sin. And Jesus, so Jesus is the true prophet. He is the true king and who received this, the ultimate anointing from the Lord to preach the gospel, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so when Jesus quoted Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, in the New Testament, it's, we find it in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 19, he was letting everyone know that he was beginning his ministry. He was serving notice, so they would take notice, right? And so the background of Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, and Luke 4, 18 and 19, the background of these two passages is found in Leviticus 25, and we're told that it is called the year of Jubilee. And here's how the year of Jubilee worked. Every seven years, the Jews were supposed to observe a sabbatical year. They were supposed to take time off that year. And during the sabbatical year, the land was supposed to rest. Then after seven years, I'm sorry, then after seven sabbatical years, uh, or 49 years, they were supposed to take a whole year off to celebrate it on that 50th year as the year of Jubilee. And during that year, all the debts were supposed to be canceled. All the land was supposed to be returned to the original owners and the slaves were to be set free. Essentially, everyone was given a new start, a fresh beginning. The problem was the Jews never practiced that. They never were obedient to that. They never got to the point where they even practiced sabbatical years, much less the years, the year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor. And so when Jesus comes along in, 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 in Luke chapter 4, 18 and 19, and he quotes Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, he was proclaiming the year of Jubilee. He was saying, it's finally arrived. This is it. He inaugurated the year of Jubilee, and he did it in a far better way than anyone could have anticipated. In Christ, here is what the year of Jubilee is fulfilled. Um, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, uh, you are living in the true year of Jubilee. Everything in your life is part of what he inaugurated in Luke chapter 4. And what the year of Jubilee means is that Christ he has released you from the bondage of your sin. If you trust him, he has released you from the bondage of your sin. He has freed you when he paid your spiritual debt of sin. And when he died in your place on the cross, you're, you were freed from that, that uh, penalty of that sin. He took that for you. And in verse 3, we see Jesus' stunning work of substitution. And we hear Jesus as our Savior. He has taken the ashes of our life, and, and, uh, and He has given us a crown of beauty. He has taken the grief and the mourning of our lives, and He gives us joy. And finally, He takes the, our garments of despair, and He clothes us in the brilliance of His glory. And, and in verse 3, this is essentially what Jesus is saying is this. I'll give you what I have, and you give me what you have. That's what he's saying. But it's this 
idea of substitution that we find in the atoning work of Christ on the cross. And finally, verse 3 concludes by saying that we have been given Jesus' righteousness. In the New Testament, we understand this to be the imputation of Christ's righteousness. Now, imputation means that Jesus has put, by, by the perfect life he lived, the sinless life he lived, and then he dies on the cross in our place and for our sins. He And those who place their faith in him, he imputes or he puts into you his righteousness. He gives you that. That's what he does. And then at the end of verse 3, so at the end of the verse 3, he says he calls his people righteous trees. And so it's the, the way I picture the analogy is, is we're his righteous trees and the sap of his righteousness is what courses through those trees so that we bloom with the glory of God in our lives. That's what it is. Now, now that Jesus has put his life into us, after we see in verses 1 through 3, he's put his life into us. Verses 4 through 9 tell us what we have been given as a result of his ministry. In other words, if verses 1 through 3 are Jesus' mission, then verses 4 through 9 are our mission statement. They're our mission statement. You heard Kate read our mission statement earlier. We, we find somewhat of a mission statement here in verses 4 through 9. We're sent to proclaim the good news to those broken by sin and imprisoned in their guilt. We're sent to tell them that Jesus will set them free if they will trust Him. We're sent to tell them that He will do for them what He has done uh, for us. We're sent to tell them that He is able to restore what has been devastated by sin. So brothers and sisters in Christ, sin may have left a trail of wreckage uh, in somebody's life, but Jesus is the ultimate rebuilder of lives that have been wasted by sin, that have been devastated by sin. Listen to how Revelation chapter 1, uh, verses, verse 5b, the last part of verse 5 through, echo, or through 6, echoes the ministry given to us in Isaiah 61, verse 6. This is what it says. To him who loves us and has set us free. So um, let me back up just a little bit. If you're reading verse 6, if you're looking at verse 6 in your service guide, listen to how Revelation reflects that. To him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to, our, uh, to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. <laughs> See, so all the way back in Isaiah, it, we hear it echoed in Revelation. And then in verses 5 through 7 of Isaiah 61, we learn that our mission is a heroic mission. See, forget Spider-Man and the Avengers and all those dudes, right? They're not real. They're not real. Oh, I, know, I know, I bursted your bubble. You know, spoiler alert, you thought, you thought those guys were real, didn't you? But God gives us a heroic mission. Those who go on this rescue mission will be honored as God's kingdom of priests. This is amazing. And finally, those who are a part of this rescue mission and those who are rescued, they will be filled with God's eternal joy. That's what happens. But before we leave this part of Isaiah 61, we've got to come back to the end of verse 3, don't we? 
I mean, to our great sadness, not everyone will love the gospel. You see, when Jesus read Isaiah 61, verse 2, he didn't read the phrase, and the day of our God's vengeance. He didn't read that, did he? And when you read Luke chapter 4, verse 12, you notice he omitted that phrase. And the reason he did not read that phrase is because that day, the day of vengeance, is not here yet. It hasn't come. It's still to come. Jesus fulfills, he fulfills all of verses 1 through 3. He just didn't fulfill them all at the same time. Jesus' first coming inaugurated the year of the Lord's favor. We live in that right now. We live in that. Anybody who comes to Christ in faith and repentance and trusts the work that He did on the cross for them, they know the favor of the Lord. They know that He is rebuilding the, the ruins that have been devastated in their life by their sin. But if anyone rejects the gospel all the way to the end of earth, they never trust Christ. When He returns a second time, that day of vengeance will come. So right now, while we're in the year of the Lord's favor, you know, trust God. Because when He comes back with that day of vengeance, the gates and the doors of grace will be closed. Don't wait too long if you've never trusted Christ. So, so we plead with people to trust Christ. And so I plead with anyone here today, if you've never trusted Jesus, let today be the day of salvation to you. Let today be the day of the Lord's favor on your life. The gates of, the Lord's, uh, and, uh, of God's grace is open to anyone who will trust Him. That's the first thing we should do. The second thing we need to practice as we travel to our heavenly home is a life of praise in verses 10 and 11. Verses 10 and 11. I'm not going to reread these verses. Stacy read them earlier. But uh, in verses 10 and 11, we find the second charge for us. And in light of the work of the suffering servant ushering in the year of Jubilee, we are to live lives of praise. So verse 10, in verse 10, Jesus praises God for clothing him in righteousness and salvation. He's a handsome bridegroom, dressed for his bride, the church. And, and we get a glimpse of Christ's marriage to his bride at the end of time. And he is beautifully dressed in his righteousness, and he is ready to wrap his arms around his people. And then in verse 11, says that the whole earth witnesses the coming of the king, and the people of God worship their king, and they will witness the marriage of Jesus to his bride, and they will rejoice. This is one of those already and not yet passages. We talked a little bit about that last week. We, we worship Christ now, because of what we see that the Savior will do, we look forward to the time of the consummation of Christ's kingdom where He will take His bride in full marriage. Uh, Revelation calls it the marriage feast of the Lamb. Where we will celebrate that all coming together. We, we look forward to that. We know it's coming, but it's not yet here but although it's not here, we still worship in anticipation like we sang this morning. We're almost home. We're almost home. And when we get there, we're going to a wedding. 
<laughs> Our wedding. As a church. To Jesus. That's where we're going. And it's going to be a great festival. It's going to be, dare I say, fun. <laughs> we don't think about it that way, do we? But it is. It's going to be wonderful and exciting. And we're going to enjoy that. But our Christ, our Savior, He's coming soon. So be ready. The third thing we need to practice is a life of passionate renewal for Christ's church. A, passion, a life of passionate renewal for Christ's church. In Isaiah 62, verses 1 through 5, Isaiah looks at God's people, the church, and there's, there's still much work to do. He sees the already, okay? <laughs> he sees the already. I mean, uh, I mean, he sees the not yet. I said that wrong. He sees the not. They're not yet there. They're not there yet. They're not righteous yet. And his heart is broken for the condition of God's people. So he proclaims his, and he proclaims it, and he's consumed by passion for seeing God's people, the church that he sees in the future, to see them renewed, to see them restored, to see them preparing for their bridegroom. And the language in these verses, now it's poetic. And is figurative, so do not let the, the imagery in this, these verses uh, throw you off. Look in verses 1 through 5. Let me read them. I will not keep silent because of Zion. And let's just, just say that what that is. That's church. I will, not keep uh, I will not keep still because of Jerusalem until her righteousness shines like a bright light and her salvation a flaming torch. Nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You will be given a new name and the Lord's mouth will announce it. You will be a glorious crown in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the palm of the Lord's hand. You will no longer be called deserted and your land will not be called desolate. Instead, you will be called my delight is in her and your land married. For the Lord delights in you and your land will be married. For the, as a young man, for as a young man marries a young woman, so your sons will marry you. And as a groom rejoices over his bride, so your God will rejoice over you. You need to put yourself in that. That's how God feels about His people. He's telling us He's rejoicing over His people. And in these five verses, what we hear is Isaiah's passion for God's people. This is, this is Isaiah talking about how God feels about His people. They're not there yet, and I'm passionate about that. And this is how God feels about them. So it's right for me to feel what God feels about His people. He, Isaiah longs to see God's people be a full display of God's glory and how they live and worship. And what we know is that Isaiah was looking at us. He's looking toward the future. He longed for God's people to be a brilliant display of God's glory. So here's the question for us. We're going to make this personal, right? What is your passion right now? What is your passion? Are you passionate about the church? Or is coming to church or coming to a worship service just something you check off your list on Sunday? Do you desire to see God's church built up, serving one another, and faithfully proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to a lost world? Is that a passion of yours? Is that a desire you have? I mean, would you say you're plugged into your church or would you say, or are you disconnected? 
I mean, are just, it's just a good thing to evaluate. This, this text calls us to evaluate. What about sharing the gospel with those who are lost? Do, do you care about people who are dying and going to hell? Do you care that they need to hear the gospel? As I ask these questions, I mean, I ask these questions because Jesus feels this way about his church. Are they, are they building one another up? Are they sharing the gospel? This is what I, I care about that. I died for that. Do my people think like me? Is their heart my heart? See, if we're on mission with Jesus, then his mission will be our mission. Right? You see, God is passionate about his church. And verses five, one through five help us do a heart check to see if we love the local church, if we love the lost. And so we read a text like this, we, we've got to evaluate our lives. We've got to do a heart check. But let's drill down deeper and make some more personal application. How do, um, how do you talk about Grand Avenue in community? How do you talk about Grand Avenue? How, how do you treat the people of Grand when you're here? Where do you serve on a regular basis in our church, in our church body? Do you rejoice in Grand Avenue as Jesus does? Do you do that? Do I do that? I have to ask myself that. You see, Jesus loves us here at Grand, and He is calling us to love others the way He loves others. He, 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 listen, our lives won't purchase salvation like Jesus' life did. It won't. But we are called to lay down our lives for our friends, aren't we? We are called to do that. That's, that's, that's what he said in John's uh, gospel. So the bottom line is the power of the gospel creates people who love Christ's church and lay their lives down for their friends in Christ's church. It does. It does. The fourth thing we need to practice is a life of intercession for the church. A life of intercession for the church. This is in verses 6 through 9. And Isaiah calls us to continually intercede in prayer for our church. Listen to what he says. Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen on your walls. They will never be silent day or night. There's no rest for you who remind the Lord. Do not give them rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem the praise of the earth. For the Lord has sworn with his right hand and his strong arm, I will no longer give your grain to your enemies for food and foreigners will not drink the new wine for which you have labored. For those who gather grain will eat it and praise the Lord. And those who harvest grapes will drink the wine in my holy courts. So brothers and sisters, we are the watchmen on the wall. We are those people. And God has placed us in Grand Avenue to continually cry out to God to make us holy, to make us righteous. So we are to be like the woman in Jesus' parable, who kept pestering the, the wicked judge, the crooked judge, you know, who I'm talking to. you remember that parable? She kept pestering him, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. And finally, the dishonest judge said, I've got to give her justice. 
because she's not going to leave me alone. So Jesus said, in the same way, keep going to God with your request. Keep petitioning Him. Keep praying. Be persistent in your prayers. God's not a bad judge. He's a good judge. You keep going to Him. If, if the bad judge will give justice, God's going to do even more than what you could ever ask or think. He will do that. Be persistent in your praying for God's people. So we should boldly and humbly go before the throne of grace and make our requests known to God. And we must remember, these prayers we're making to God, hey, they've been purchased by the blood of Christ. And so our prayers go up before the Lord like a sweet-smelling aroma, not because you can pray and just sound all holy, but because the blood of Christ purchased your prayers and they, his blood is what makes your prayer go up before the Lord like a sweet smelling aroma. It's what makes it acceptable to God. Not your righteousness, Jesus' righteousness. Not your holiness, Jesus' holiness. Not the work that you've done, the work that Christ has done. So may the Lord make us a people who continually go to the Lord in prayer on behalf of the saints here at Grand Avenue and then outside of Grand. So let's pray for the members of our body. Listen, if you, if you don't use the church directory to pray for people in our church, let me encourage you to start doing that. You may not know who you're praying for. If you don't know them, pray that the Lord will help you get to know them. You may not know what to ask, but just lift them up to the Lord is enough. Pray for them and lift them up. And if you, if you don't know how to get that going, you, you can figure out a way that works best for you. It doesn't have to be exactly like I do it or Pastor Eric does it or someone else does it. Figure out a way that works for you. Let's also pray for those who are lost that we know. And I'm sure everyone, surely everyone knows somebody who needs Jesus in here. Start praying for them. Begin to lift them up before the Lord. And if you don't know anybody who needs Jesus as their Savior, then pray that the Lord will put somebody in your path that needs Jesus so that you can begin to pray for them and share the gospel with them. And finally, the last thing we need to practice as we travel to our heavenly home, you should remember that we have the life, we, we've been commissioned, a life of commissioning. A life of commissioning. And Isaiah 62 concludes uh, with Isaiah's vision of this, uh, with Isaiah's version of the Great Commission, right? In verses 10 through 12, they tell us how God's people are sent out. Listen to them. Listen to these verses, these three verses. <clears throat> Excuse me. Go out. Go out through the city gates. Prepare the way for the people. Build it up. Build up the highway. Clear, the, clear away the stones. Raise a banner for the peoples. Look, the Lord has proclaimed to the ends of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, look, your salvation is coming. His wages are with him and his reward accompanies him. And they will be called the holy people. The Lord's redeemed and you will be called cared for, not a city deserted. These are God's people. These are the people that are commissioned and sent out. God's redeemed people are not called to sit and soak, but to go out of the gates of the, of the holy city, to go out of these church doors when we leave here today, taking the gospel, reaching out to others. We're commissioned to do that. To 
tell others about Christ and invite them into the people of God. We learn in Isaiah 60 that the gates of the city are never shut. This is a church today. As long as we faithfully proclaim the gospel, the doors and the gates of God's holy city and the grace goes out and people come in to God's grace through the preaching of the gospel. And that gate will not be shut until Jesus returns. And so let's keep the doors open and welcoming all to come into God's kingdom. And pray that they come to faith in Christ. This is how Isaiah tells us that we ought to live as we march to Zion together as a local church. And one day we will reach that beautiful shore. We will be there. And we'll be able to tell stories about what God did when we were on this earth. And it'll be a joyful day. It'll be an amazing day. It'll be a feast in the house of Zion, won't it? That's our closing song. This is a wonderful hymn. I love the last line of verse 3. It says, And from the garden to the grave, bind us together, bring shalom. Shalom is Hebrew word for peace. Bring peace we will feast in the house of Zion. We will sing with our hearts restored. He has done great things. We will say together, we will weep. I mean, we will feast and weep no more. Huh? Weep. <laughs> don't want to weep anymore, do we? This is what God's doing. This is what He longs to do. And He looks and He says, you're cared for. You're a cared for city. Your holy city is a cared for city. You're not deserted. Because we belong to Him. That's the name He gives us. That's who we are. Let's pray.